0: Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. Shee! How we doing? I love that, I was like, ooh, exciting! How we doing? Okay, and let's, let's give a follow-up question this week. How many have started school this week? Raise the hands, oh, oh, it's the worst. How many start tomorrow? Does anybody start tomorrow? Oh, back here, I'm so sorry. We're gonna pray for you by the end, we're gonna lay hands. It's gonna, are you guys excited for the school year to start? Are we excited, are we pumped? A little bit here, a little bit there, that's all right. Hey, if you got your Bibles, Acts chapter two, that's where I want you to turn. Um, Before we get hopping in here, if it's your first time tonight, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Tim Shepherd. I'm the student ministry pastor here. um, And I'm happy that you are here. We are here every Wednesday night. 6.30. If you are looking for a place to connect, this is the spot. Um, And as Catherine just said, um, if you are available on Tuesdays, Tuesdays, 4.30 to 5.30, um, we're gathering in that Hershey Kiss looking building down the the aisle way there. Um, And over the next couple weeks, we're actually going to be gathering, worshiping, and praying. So if you came to Prayer Initiative yesterday, can I see a hand? If you came yesterday, hey, good job. Good job. We had a really good time uh, yesterday. If you are interested in, coming praying for your school, praying for your friends, praying for your family. It's a really beautiful time. We would love to see you. Okay, we are going through the book of Acts. Everyone say Acts. Book of Acts. I kind of gave some of the context last week. Uh, this is week two. This is, this is a beautiful book that we have in the New Testament that's meant to be a part two of the Gospel of Luke. So the, 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 the author of the Gospel of Luke, Luke, he wrote the Gospel of Luke to give the message, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he writes the book of Acts as a part two to say, okay, now this is how the message of Jesus Christ is going out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he opens up the book talking about how Jesus is leaving, but he's going to send another. This person that we call in the church, the Holy Spirit. And he says, this Holy Spirit's going to be a helper, a comforter, and he is going to make it possible for you to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what we're going to pick up here in Acts chapter 2... It is the continuation of that story, the giving of this Holy Spirit, and then what this Holy Spirit does in the body of Christ. So before we hop in, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we love you. We love you. Would you help us just take a moment and slow down from the busyness of everything getting started? Would you give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, minds to understand you, hearts to believe you, Lord. we don't want to rush. We want to be able to take the time to pause and give you our attention. So Lord, I pray that you would give faith to every man, every woman in this room, including myself, to behold you, to see you, to treasure you just a little bit more over the next half hour in your precious and holy name, amen. Do I have any history fans in here? Anybody who enjoys the subject of history? Okay, here's the thing. When I was in sixth and seventh grade, history was my favorite subject. In fact, I liked it a little bit more than PE. That has changed since then. But history was my favorite subject. And the topics that I actually enjoyed learning the most, I had the greatest history teachers in sixth grade and seventh grade. My favorite topics to learn about were World War I and World War II. Okay, I'm like I'm like I'm like a boy. I loved Star Wars. I loved Lord of the Rings growing up. Like action was like my thing. I was homeschooled. Deal with it, all right? So like, I, I loved watching, but I loved learning about World War I, World War II. You look at like World War I and you have like, like the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand and then everything kind of blows up. You have Austria kind of declare war on Serbia and then Russia comes to help Serbia. And so then you have you have like Germany coming to the aid of Austria and then Great Britain's declaring war on Austria and it just gets so confusing. But the only things that like, I remember from World War I are like, okay, that guy was assassinated. And then you think about, okay, like when does it become relevant for the U.S.? Well, we get to 1917, and then you have like German U-boats, which were like cult submarines at the time. They start sinking like U.S. merchant ships, and we have like Great Britain trying to get us into the war. And so then they pass on this telegram called the Zimmerman Telegram. Anybody with me? Do you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, we so like, we have Germany sending Mexico a telegram saying, hey, can you guys like hop in on this battle? If you do, we'll help you regain your, your territory from the US. And so the US said, not nah, no more, we're hopping in on this thing. And like two years later, it was over. It was a joke. Then we go fast forward like 20 years later to World War II. And things get like really fascinating. And when you think about like the events of World War II, like this was, this was a pretty long war, roughly like six years, 1939 to 1945. But when we think about World War II, there are certain events that come into our minds when we think about World War II. We think about December 7th, 1945. Was it 1945? I think it was 1945. 41. <laughs> I'm out here trying to be cool and you keeping me, you keeping me relevant, Right. The attack of what? Pearl Harbor, Harbor, right? So you you have the U.S. keeping it at a stiff arm for a while. Then December 8th, 1941, everything changes. The U.S. hops into the war. And we do something really unique in World War II that's never been done in history yet. We drop two nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And we think back to, don't go woo to that. That's, that's just jacked up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't mean to shame you, right? So when you think about World War II, like, like these are the kind of the moments that come up. You think of Adolf Hitler. You think of the Nazis. You think of concentration camps. You think of D-Day, like the storming of beach, the beach of Normandy. We think of like the dropping of nuclear bombs. Like there are certain events that mark World War II. This is what I like about history. You open up a history book and usually you read the highlights of the year. Now, can you imagine 20 years from now when some of you have like four kids? That's weird to think about. I promise you, it's most likely not with the person that you are sitting with, right? <laughs> Maybe it will, I don't know. Maybe it will, I don't know. But we get, we get 20 years from now, okay, listen, just bear with me, I know, shh. And your children are opening up the history book to read about what took place in 2020. And you're sitting there as a parent like, oh, let me tell you. About. Now, here's, here's the funny thing. There are a lot of unique things that marked the year of 2020. It won't be hard for many of us now to go, what was such a big deal about 2020? We had a global pandemic. <laughs> Toilet paper was like run out of the <laughs> shelves, right? We had like one of the most divisive political elections that our country has ever seen. We had people like, raid the Capitol. It was an interesting year. But here's the thing, I, don't, I wouldn't recommend this, but today as I was like getting preparing for the message, I Googled things that happened in 2020 that like most people don't know about. And the list was fascinating. This was fascinating. Here are five things that happened in 2020 that some of you probably know about. Did you know that Bob Dylan wrote and released a 17-minute song about the JFK assassination? Have any of you heard this song? It's like two people. (laughs) I pulled this up and listened to it today. (laughs) Is that Preem back there? I don't know. Is that Bristol? Bristol, I got you, Bristol. Like I pulled this up and it was the weirdest song. (laughs) He's like, 17 minutes, I kid you not. He's like, oh yeah, life and death, days worth living. (laughs) I'm like, how did this guy, like write greatest hits? Okay, that's not all. All right, many of you might know this. Uh, Grimes and Elon Musk named their baby X Ash A12. X Ash A12. They literally said like, like the birth certificate might get rejected because like there's like a dash, like, like, like number in the name, X Ash A12. Can you imagine if like Mariah and I were having our first child? She goes, babe, what do you think we should name the child? X-ash, A-12. Sounds like a Roman numeral in an Excel spreadsheet. Like, I don't, they named a child that. Okay, get, get this. This, this, is, this is hysterical. Okay. An Australian airline offered a flight to nowhere, to nowhere in 2020, meaning this. An Australian airline, because everything was closed down, they said, we will take a flight that will take off travel around Australia, go over like the the tip of Antarctica and come back and land in the same place that it took off from. The cheapest ticket for this flight was $575, with the most expensive ticket for this flight being $2,765. And this flight sold out in 10 minutes. 10 minutes, like people were so desperate to get out of their homes and see fires over Australia that they took out a mortgage to get on this plane (laughs) to fly around for a couple hours. This one was trippy. In 2020, Miley Cyrus, (laughs) yeah, I know, It it already starts out just wrong. Miley Cyrus claimed to have apparently locked eyes with an alien after being chased by a UFO. <laughs> Went on record saying, she was made very uncomfortable by making eye contact with an alien. After, she did say she was doing some of that you know, before. So I don't know how we like, I know you didn't expect to see pastor do that at church. Moving on, <laughs> moving on. And then finally, we all kind of know this, like Kanye West announced that he was running for presidency, but like, the sad thing is, like, like, people voted for him. Like, it was a weird year. Okay, now, now, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Bear with me. Can you imagine? 20 years down the road, <laughs> your child goes to junior high, opens up their yearbook, and goes, Bob Dylan wrote a 17 minute song about the JFK assassination. And they come home and you go, "What did you learn about the year of 2020?" And you go, "Just mom, dad, grandpa." I don't know, if that wouldn't be that wouldn't work. <laughs> did you know that Miley Cyrus saw an alien in 2020? <laughs> like locked eyes. And they go, oh, did you know that like, like in 2020, mom and dad, monkeys were running riot in the streets of Thailand. Like this, like mom and dad, like this is legendary. You lived through this. And you're gonna look at your child and go, are you nuts? You're gonna take their history book and you're gonna walk it over to whatever artificial fireplace you have at the time. And you're gonna burn it. Why? Because those aren't the notable things about 2020. And here's the thing, it's so important that when we read the New Testament, especially when we read these narrative accounts, whoever's writing this is writing events that are worth taking note of, are worth taking note of the same way that the only way a history book is gonna be valuable to you is if it's gonna tell you the things that actually happened that were important in the year of 2020, AKA COVID-19, and quarantines, and toilet paper, and (laughs) a whole bunch of other stuff, right? That's the only way that like a history book gives you value. And I want you to have that mentality when we come in here to read the beginning of Acts 2. Because hear me, this is arguably one of the most significant moments for the church. When we read Acts 2, it's this moment of like, oh, everything that Jesus was saying now makes sense. When he says, I'm going to send you a helper. That being said, let's read it. Acts 2, verse 1. It says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Okay, stop. We're gonna build this scene. Jesus says as he's ascending on a cloud into heaven, he says, I want you to go back into Jerusalem and I want you to wait. You're gonna wait there and I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit to you. So what do they do? They obey, they go back to Jerusalem. And there's lots of theological debate. Are they in the upper room right now? Or are they in the temple in Jerusalem right now? Doesn't matter, all right? They're sitting, they're waiting. Then all of a sudden, a sound of a mighty rushing wind begins to blow through the place. And then they begin to see tongues of fire begin to come in and rest on each one of them. And then something miraculous happens. The followers of Jesus begin to speak in tongues of a language that's not their native language. They're beginning to speak all of these these different dialects. And this is why this is important. This is why we call it Pentecost. Pentecost marks the 50th day following Passover. This is why you had Jews from all over coming to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And so you have Jews coming from all over the world. They come to this place and all of a sudden they're seeing these Galileans start to speak their own language. And they're bewildered. They're like, what is what is happening right now? And in the language that the followers of Jesus are speaking, they're beginning to give the message of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to go back to the moment in Acts 1.8 when Jesus looks at them and he says, you are going to be my witnesses. You are going to tell Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth about the message of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what the disciples' response would have been? uh how do you plan on making this happen to the ends of the earth? <laughs> like we do not have Rosetta Stone. <laughs> how are we supposed to learn different languages? Like there is no internet. There's no way we can like, like or broadcast this message to the ends of the, like how do you plan on making that happen, Jesus? Southwest isn't a thing. How are we supposed to like get around? And Jesus goes off and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they're speaking tongues of languages, not their own. And the scripture says here that they were filled with the spirit. And I'm gonna fast forward through this chapter. What we have then is all these people give two responses. They go, wow, this is amazing. And the other crowd goes, wow, they're drunk. They're like, what was like, like they're, they're drunk on wine. And so Peter gets up here in Acts two, and he goes, listen to me, we're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. I promise you, we're not drinking yet. That's for later. And he goes, no. Hear me, these men are filled with the Holy Spirit. And what you are hearing them speak right now is God's Spirit on them speaking your language so that you can hear this message. And he gives the gospel. He begins to tell about this Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament, this Messiah that came in the person of Jesus Christ, this Messiah that they crucified this Messiah that they rejected, but this Messiah that was rose again and that the company of the people that were with him, they said, all of us have seen that this man has raised from the dead. He is the Lord. And the invitation that he is giving you right now is to turn from your wicked ways, submit to him and let Jesus be Lord of your life. And it says literally, like the spirit cut the people listening to the heart. And they said, what do we do? And Peter looks at him and he says, repent and be baptized and 3,000 were added to the church that day. 3,000 added to the church that day. People from all over of different economic classes, of different family origins, of different backgrounds. I mean, just all over the place. And then we see a picture of something really, really beautiful. At the end of Acts two here, we're given a picture of, okay, The Holy Spirit has come. God has birthed his church. Now, what does this community of people look like? What does it look like to be the church? Tonight, I want to talk to you about how the Holy Spirit unifies. Holy Spirit unifies. What does the the Holy Spirit actually do among God's people? Verse 42, at the end of Acts 2, follow me here. It says this, now, they're they're filled with the Spirit, followers of Jesus, this is the church. It says, and they devoted themselves. Everyone say devoted themselves. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So we have the church born 3000 people coming to Jesus in a moment. Then they're like, what does life look like for us now? And so they begin to to do life when, another. all of a sudden now the message of the gospel was no longer just for Israel. It's come for all. So now we're not identifying the people of God as Israel, we're identifying the people of God as the church. And what does this community look like? And there are four things that are listed in this passage here that I think give us a really good glimpse into this is actually what the church is supposed to look like. The first one is this, wholehearted Devotion wholehearted devotion. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayer. So there was something about them that got consumed by this message of Jesus that really had to saturate every part of their life. They couldn't get enough of it. Have you ever had a moment like that where you can't get enough of something? You just need more, you just need more, you just need more. This last Sunday, myself and my bride and Victor and Preem, we went to Josh Lau's house with his parents to have dinner with them before he took off to college and he'll leave tomorrow. And we're sitting there, we open the door and we, we know Josh and Michelle, both of them are in high school, but they actually got a three-year-old little sister named Isabel, cutest little girl on planet earth. I mean, them Malaysian babies are cute, my goodness. Okay, and so we open the door and, and Isabel's very, very shy. She's quiet, she's reserved. She's kind of doing her own thing. So we begin to go through the night. We, we sit at the dinner table and she's very respectful. I mean, it's an Asian home. It's very respectful, all right? I say that because I'm Vietnamese. And anyway, we're sitting there. So she starts eating, she's chowing her food. And by the end of dinner, She'd hit her stride. She's like, okay, these people aren't here to kill me. I can be myself. So she gets up and she just starts kind of running around the table doing her thing. I mean, she's yelling, she's screaming. She's kind of like, "What?" doing her thing. And so we finish, we finish dinner. The parents are like, hey, why don't you guys chill for a second while we get dessert going? So we go into the living room, me, Josh, and Pastor Victor. And Isabel's in there, and Isabel's just kind of got a thing where like, she just like, rules the roost. Once she gets comfortable, she grabs the pillows off the couch. She starts smacking everybody across the head, right? And so we got this thing where we're like throwing the pillows. She's throwing the pillow at us. And then Pastor Victor, just a genius. He's great with kids, great with kids. Preem, take notes, yeah. Like, he... <laughs> He goes, he goes, oh, I have an idea. Isabel, come here. And so she comes running to him and she sits on the pillow and he goes, okay, hold on. She goes, okay. And he grabs and it's a hardwood floor and he just starts skating this little girl all across the living room and she's loving it. So he's like, he's like, okay, hey Tim, kind of go over there about 10 feet away. I was like, okay. So he goes and she sits down and he pushes her towards me. She's about to crack her head open, comes to me and I catch and receive her and she turns around. I throw her back and then she's like, she wants more. So Victor backs her up. He takes her a little further back and begins to push her and push her, push her. And she's really enjoying it. Now, here's the thing. If you have a moment like this with a really cute kid, it's very, very, very cute. It's very adorable. It's a great moment. But if you know a child like this, there is only one logical question for them to say in their mind after you've done something they enjoy. What is that? Again. Again. And all of a sudden you just see she, he, she has the time of her life, but it's over. So she turns around, she says, again. And because Victor doesn't like saying no, he goes, Pastor Tim, you want to try, right? But there's something about, there's something about a child when they delight in something, they want more, more, more. And this is what we're seeing in like a childlike faith with the church, a wholehearted devotion that just says, wakes up every day and goes, More. More again God again re- reawaken my heart to the good news that Jesus came for me again I can't get enough of it let me let me open up the scriptures as best I can understand them let me sit and listen to the apostles teaching as much as I can hey you're a follower of Jesus too let's go and break bread with one another and let's see and let's fellowship over this reality that Jesus is Lord and let's be wholeheartedly devoted in our finances and wholeheartedly devoted in our families as husbands as fathers as mothers as wives whatever it's going to be like let give our lives to this thing wholehearted devotion marked the early church but that's not all that marked them number two and put it on the screen was awe and wonder awe and wonder look here and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles have you ever had a moment where something took your breath away Something took your breath away. I got all the childhood illustrations tonight. Last December, we took our family to, took our family, like my parents took our family to Disney World, okay? First time I'd ever been to Disney World. If you've been to Disney World, you know, there's four parks, it's really complicated, it's really expensive, they get a lot of money. So we just did Magic Kingdom. We go to Magic Kingdom, and honestly, it was very underwhelming, very underwhelming like a waste of time for an adult. It's like, it's like the place where like childhood dreams come true and the place where like adult nightmares come true, all combined in one area, okay? But, what, but the most unique moment for this, for this trip for me was I have, a, I have a, a niece, Cecily. She was about three, I believe at the time. And Cecily, she's just fascinated with many. I mean, she thinks the world of many. She thinks, well, she's got her, she's got her little mini ears heading into the park. I mean, she's just the cutest logo. girl. She got like a little gold bracelet, a purse. You know, she does her thing, right? We go into the park. Now here's the same way, it was like COVID. So like they weren't, they didn't have the mascots out like around, like connecting with people like they usually do. But on this particular day, they put all of like the mascots on a float and they let them like go through the streets. And like, they let people stand off on the streets and like wave to the mascots, and so the moment came where they were like bringing the float down the middle of the main road, and like Cecily, she's like freaking out. She's like ready to see Minnie. She, all she wants to do, like this whole moment, her whole life at this point is about seeing Minnie, and we're coming. they're coming down the street, and she's so excited. You got like all the security people pushing people off the street, and Cecily's like, forget you. She's running out in the middle of the road, just screaming like, Minnie, look at me acknowledge me, like you have no idea, I'm your, I'm your biggest fan. And sure enough, like, like coming down the road, we have Mickey and Minnie front front of house. And by God's grace, right when they got to us, Minnie just looked down to the right, right at Cecily. And Cecily lost her ever loving mind. <laughs> I mean, just, just could not contain it. I mean, jumping, screaming, waving, like trying to make it to Minnie. And Minnie's like, oh, I'm gonna see you. And it keeps going. There's something so special about a child being in awe and wonder. It's amazing that God says that our faith should be childlike, isn't it? Can I ask you a question? Have you ever felt like that with God? Have you ever felt like that with God where you were in awe and wonder? All you'd want to do is have him look at you And then you hear the message of Jesus Christ and that's God saying, I see you. And you're overwhelmed by it. Can I say something kind of difficult? I'm willing to bet if you've never had a moment like that with Jesus, you probably don't know him. What can we do when we have an experience with the maker of heaven and earth? Author and writer, Marshall Siegel, He said this, he said, Christianity isn't just about getting the truth right. It's about being overwhelmed by the truth. If we are not fascinated with Christ, we can hardly claim to know him. If we are not fascinated in awe and wonder, like hear me, the God of the universe got off his heavenly throne, came down here to earth, lived, breathed, died, suffered on a cross for you, for me. Why? So that we would know he loves us. He loves us. That it would take our breath away. We would be in awe and wonder and shock that this is what our God, We like we're fascinated with him going back to the wholehearted, devotion, we can't get enough of him. This is what marked the church, a wholehearted, exclusive, singular devotion, a, 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 a reality that was just in awe and wonder of the good news of Jesus Christ every single day. And then it played out into the way that they lived. Number three is they were marked by radical generosity. Verse 44 and 45, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Can you imagine, can you imagine like walking into a community that does this? Now, let me just say this, like the Bible isn't necessarily going like, okay, you need a socialist government. It's not what it's saying. He's saying, look, those who have been gripped by good news, those who know Jesus, begin to see and perceive money completely different. They don't see wealth as a means to build security. They don't see wealth as a means to build status. They don't see wealth as a means to build power. They see wealth as a means to provide for those in need. And all of a sudden they're going, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like God, the God of the universe, he came in the person of Jesus and he gave everything to know that I would love him. And so what does that mean for my life? I don't need to hold on to anything as if I have to accumulate and preserve my own life. My life is in his hands. So so what you need, you're in need. Let me do what I can to help you. Let me lay down my life so that you can know you're seen, you're known, you're loved, you're taking care of every, every, every week we get up here and we talk about like this tide moment. It's kind of the awkward moment. It's like, well, they had ask, got asking for us for money. Like, like what is going on? No, no, no. This is what, this is what this is. The reason why we get up here and we leave a tide moment and you're hearing this from your pastor is because I believe in the local church. I believe that God uses this to bear his presence to the world. And I believe in it so much that I give my money to make sure that it'll continue to go, that it continue, c- can continue to function, that the doors will stay open, that every Wednesday night at 6.30, when a kid wanders in here because his parents just moved here, because they were restationed from the Air Force or from the Army or his parents or her parents are divorced or something is going on, that they'd have a place to walk in at 6.30 and be seen, known, and loved by the people of God. That's why we give. Why? we're gripped by something that's beyond ourselves, but we were created for, to give. And so what you have this people, I mean, in a world where where everything is competition, competition is king, and people are trumping over one another to get ahead in the corporate ladder, what you have is a community that's going, oh, you need a place to sleep tonight? Here, let me put you up. We have a room and a bed for you. You haven't eaten in four days, come on in. We're gonna give you a meal and we're gonna give you food to walk out of here. You don't have any clothes? You need some clothes? Come here, we're gonna take care of you. We're gonna make sure that you are clothed, you are warm, walking out of here tonight. And I mean, you have everybody looking on and going, what is happening? Which leads me to point number four, that the church was marked by contagious joy. Contagious joy. Look at this passage right here. Verse 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bed in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And look here. And the, Lorded ad, the, Lord, ad, the, Lorded, <laughs> the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's a gravity Pulling from the Holy Spirit to a world that is isolated, to a world that is working so hard to attain their own strength, their own salvation. When they look in and they go, wait a minute, there's another way to live life. There's another way to live life. Wholeheartedly devoted to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, where it's not just Wednesday night, Sunday morning that I define as my Christian life but that everything in my life would be encapsulated with this man named Jesus. That the type of student I would wanna be would glorify Jesus. That the type of husband that I wanna be would glorify Jesus. That by God's grace one day, the type of father that I'm going to be one day glorifies Jesus. The way that I handle my money, that it would glorify Jesus. The way that I walk onto any sports arena, any competitive environment, I would honor and love and glorify Jesus. The way that I engage with every single person who God ever puts in front of me, I would glorify Jesus. A wholehearted devotion that day by day I'd wake up. We live in Colorado. I get to wake up. I get to look to the west and be overwhelmed that my God created those mountains, called them into being. I get to look at my bride every day and go, God made you, fearfully and wonderfully made you. Such a beautiful gift. I I get to come here on a Wednesday night with a bunch of prepubescent, pubescent adolescent teenagers who could some of the time care less to be here, who could wander in here really isolated, really alone, who could wander in here just like wrestling with your faith, who could wander in here just like riddled with addiction, riddled with brokenness, and for a moment, God would allow me to say, he loves you. That takes my breath away. Like I get to live that life. I get to live a life that walks with him day by day knowing that everything that I have is his so I don't ever have to try to claim anything. Radical generosity. I don't have to live worrying about where my bread's coming from tomorrow. I know my God's got me. He's Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Will you stand with me? I wanna invite you to be this people tonight. I wanna invite you to be this people tonight. Three prayer points that I just wanna give. You wandered in here and you just feel like your devotion's all over the place you don't know who you're living for are you living for yourself are you living for the praise of man are you living for the affirmation of your parents are you living for the acceptance of your peer group of your friends you don't know what you're living for you have an idea of what looks like a good life and what looks like a bad life so you You're trying to discern your way and you're tired and you're exhausted. The invitation for you tonight is to be wholeheartedly devoted to this man named Jesus. You're in here tonight and you've never been in awe and wonder of the person of Jesus. You've known about him. You might even know the truth about him, but you're not fascinated by it. You're not fascinated by it. You just, you're kind of here. This is what, you're, it's what you were told is the right thing to do. And generally, these people seem nicer than the rest of the world. I got news for you. Most of the people in here are probably meaner than the rest of the world. But you've never been an awe and wonder. Struck. <laughs> oh, struck by God's love for you. Holy Spirit wants to show you that tonight. He wants to give you that tonight. Maybe you've been living your life as the one who's completely in control. And maybe you were just raised this way where it was, you had to, it's survival of the fittest. It's the only natural like conclusion, logical conclusion for humanity is to go like, the only way things survive is like survival of the fittest and the kingdom of God. He's going, no, no, you don't have to live that way. You can live with open hands, with a heart that says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Can you bow your heads? I want to give you a chance to respond. A chance to respond. So heads bowed. Uh, Drew, can we bring down the lights just pretty dark? Pretty dark. I just want you to take a moment and be honest before the Lord and go, okay, Jesus. (laughs) I'm feeling confronted here because Lord, I know that those things that marked the early church, this idea of wholehearted devotion, this idea of awe and wonder, this idea of radical generosity, contagious joy, it's just not a part of my life, but I want it to be. I want it to be. I just wanna go in layers here, heads bowed. If you can identify that you're somebody in here who has been living with divided devotion, living for yourself, living for the praise of man, living for the affirmation of your parents, for the acceptance of your peers, if that's the way you've been living and you just wanna give your heart to the Lord and say, I'm gonna devote myself to you and you alone tonight. Heads bowed, I want you to raise your hand. Raise your hand. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Let him, let him rule the roost, be the king of your heart, enthroned forever, wholeheartedly devoted. Keep your hands up, okay? If you're in here tonight and you want to be struck with awe and wonder again before the king of kings, captivated and taken up into the beauty of who God is, you want that, can you raise your hand? raise your hand, captivated, awe and wonder, awe and wonder before God again, like, like your faith has become this apathetic cruise control thing, and you're wanting to see Jesus for who he is, raise your hand, raise your hand, oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Keep your hands up. If you're in here tonight and you're like, man, I've been I've been seeking so hard to just be in control of my own life. Like, I just want to do it my way. And I'm I'm it's survival of the fittest for me. I'm just making it day to day, trying to do the best that I can. And I'm tired and I'm weary, and I'm ready to live with open hands, with radical generosity. I want you to raise your hand. Raise your hand. Beautiful. Oh, beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, this is what I want you to do. I I just want to invite everybody, if you're willing, get on your knees. Get on your knees. Only if you're willing. I don't want to pressure you not to. But this, this is the start of repentance. Peter looked at them, the cut to the heart. They were saying, What do we do? How do we change this trajectory? How do, we, how do we stop living with divided devotion? How do we stop living with, with a lack of awe and a lack of honor? How do we stop living as stingy, in-control people? He goes, repent. Repent starts with humility, getting on your knees and saying, oh, Father, forgive me. Forgive me. Give me new life, show me a better way. We say that prayer, Holy Spirit come. What you are saying is, it's not in my own power. It's not in my own strength. It's not in my own understanding anymore, God. It's in your hands. I don't need to try to be wholeheartedly devoted. I need you to make me wholeheartedly devoted. I don't need to try and be in awe and wonder. I need you to show me yourself so that I can be in awe and wonder. I don't need to try and be radically generous. I need you to make me radically generous. I don't need to try and have joy. I need you to give it to me. This is the good news, brothers and sisters. You don't have to produce it. He gives it. All you have to do is receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Son, daughter who's weary, who's tired, receive it. Son, daughter who is lost out and forgotten how much I love you, how much I care for you, how much I see your life and am involved in your life. Son, daughter who's who's lost the ability to see the beauty in the world, I'm here to show you that I'm gonna blow your mind. son, daughter, I'm going to teach you how to live a life that gives, that gives, that pours yourself out. And in the pouring of yourself out, you're going to find a person and his name is Jesus. So in the posture of this, let's worship, respond to the goodness of God. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.